Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? I'm uh, doing pretty good. How are you doing, Richie? Pretty good. You know, I am uh, really excited because Away From The Keyboard is one year old now. That's right, man. It's been a whole year of us pushing out these episodes. It's crazy just to think that uh, how we started and just this crazy idea. And, and now that we're 40 episodes in, it's pretty amazing. I guess I should say happy anniversary, though. Thank you, sir. Same to you. Now, I have a quick question for you. What's that? What has been your favorite moment uh, from doing the show? I have to say for me, it's, it's definitely been meeting a lot of our guests. You know, contrary to what some of our listeners might think, most of the folks that we've spoken to, I've never met them or spoken to them before. And, you know, it's a really good opportunity to definitely reach out to some people that probably seen out in the community and people that maybe we've looked up to or read their blog and, and really just have a heart-to-heart conversation with them. What about you? What about, what do you think your favorite moments are? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I enjoy doing the conversations, but I think my favorite part, man, is actually being able to sit here and um, do the show with you and, uh, you know, work on it. Oh, but I, I know, right? I, but, I, but it's true. Um, and, and and talk about it and, and show how we want to improve it. And just being able to say, hey, I'm doing this cool project with this dude I really uh, admire and appreciate. And what are you doing, son? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I think one of the worst parts about doing shows, since we're doing, you know, hey, what do we like, what we don't like, might as well, right? I think one of the worst things about the show is the actual, sometimes it's, it's grinding. You know, we try to get the show out once a week and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, once every 10 days, but man, it, it gets, it gets pretty rough when you've got stuff at work and you got stuff at family and then, you know, all this, you know, all these other things going on and then you've got to spend another five hours editing show, man. It, it, it's it's rough sometimes. It definitely gets rough, but I think for me, one of the, the most motivating things is when you get a really good review or you get you know, one of your listeners or even one of your friends to say something really nice about the show and, it, and you realize how much people actually appreciate the stuff that we put up. Yeah, I know that, you know, we get a lot of direct feedback from our guests and they just really love the, the format and I know that they really appreciate, you know, all the, the, the hard work that we do in editing and, and making them sound as, as good as humanly possible and that, that is actually a big bonus, you know, for, for me as well listening to our guests and, and having them say the episode was great. It turned out to be a lot better than I ever thought it could. So happy birthday uh, away from the keyboard. Hopefully we'll be able to say that again this year. And here's the 40 more, Cecil. Here's the 40 more. And definitely thank you to all our guests. Thank you to all our listeners. And, uh, you know, we have a lot more work to do. And I hope you guys stay along for the ride. Yeah, just wait, wait. Just wait and see what's coming next. I, I think you guys are going to be, and gals, will be pretty happy. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Mr. Michael Kennedy. So Michael is the creator and host of the Talk Python to Me podcast and founder of Talk Python Training, an online training company for Python developers. He's also an author, an instructor, and a conference speaker. While working at Develop Mentor, he has taught over 100 week-long training courses to professional software development teams throughout the world. You can follow him on Twitter at mkennedy. This episode was recorded on March 21st, 2016, and now our conversation with Michael Kennedy. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So I'm really excited about the guests we have on our show today. Without me saying too much about him, let me, why don't we have him introduce himself? Michael, why don't you tell the folks who you are and what is it that you do? Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. And hello, everyone. My name is Michael Kennedy. I've been a developer for, it kind of pains me to say it, but for 20 years now. And I just, man, I love technology. I love that I get to work in this industry with interesting people that are excited about what they do. And so I've been building software for a long time. And I started out doing C++. I actually tried to do C++ in college and they told me, no, you're in engineering. You have to go take Fortran. And I had to <laughs> plead to take C++. It was, a, it was a pretty painful experience. I was told the most important language you were going to learn in your career is Fortran. So you can go do that first, Michael. Uh, very well then. And quickly got out of there. And 
I, I did, uh, as soon as C sharp and .NET came out back in like 2001, you know, beta one or whatever, I just thought, okay, this is the way to go. And I just spent many years working in C sharp and eventually kind of thought, well, all right, it's time to look around and see what else is out there. And I got into Python and I've been really doing Python for the last three or four years, just loving the space, loving the technology, loving the people. So, oh, I guess I should mention, I also have a podcast called Talk Python to Me, which covers things like Python. So you mentioned that you, you've you been in the industry for about 20 years. I think the only other person that's I know that's been in the industry that long is Richard. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm just saying. Is, is that a compliment or uh, <laughs> a dig? Well, maybe you guys should get to know each other a little bit better, and we'll we'll see what you think about it after that, right? You know, you know, Cecil. When I was your age, we were doing DLL hell in Windows three point one. Yeah, can you implement COM with an ATL uh, templated multiple inheritance craziness? I have absolutely no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, and you should be thankful you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're you mentioned you're a Python guy. I actually, when I was in college, um, I actually taught myself Python a couple of years, you know, into learning how to program and and, and doing that type of thing. And what I really loved about it was just how simple and how easy it was, right? So for you, I guess I want to talk about why did you even decide to, to make a career shift from C-sharp into Python? That's a really good question. I had been doing C-sharp and .NET for, you know, like I said, since the beginning. And if I kind of work back, I guess that, I don't know, at least, let's say at least 10 years, right? Quite a, quite a while. And let me put it in context. This is sort of the Steven Sanofsky, Silverlight is dead, Microsoft's turn its back on its developers days. And I, that didn't really drive me away that much. But I thought, okay, well, if I'm not going to write in C Sharp anymore, if something like, you know, sort of the de-emphasizing of Windows, the devices, the rise of Apple, all these different things. Like, well, what else would I do? And I realized, you know, look, there's this one thing I know like incredibly well, but if that thing is no longer the thing, well, what else would I go do? And so I started looking around and I, I kind of got, got into Python almost by accident. And the more I dug into it, the more I'm like, this is just a fantastic language and a fantastic ecosystem. And you said it was really simple, which I think is actually a negative in some sense. Like it's absolutely a positive, but it has negative effects on the, the ecosystem that people think it's like a toy language. And it's, it's not a real programming language. Like it doesn't compile with a compiler and emit PHCs or whatever, right? So it's, it's not real. But if you look at the things you can do with it and the stuff that's built with it, it's, there's really some amazing things out there. And it's, it's a cool ecosystem to explore. So I, I, I'm really happy I made that transition. I still do C sharp and stuff every now and then, but I, I kind of live in both worlds. I, I'm really loving the Python. So let's just say that most people out there don't know what you could do with Python. So what are some of the things that you can do with Python and some of the things that are built with Python? Sure. So there's a a bunch of stuff. Probably the most well-known ones would be web things, right? So YouTube was originally written with Python. I think maybe the biggest user of Python is Dropbox. Dropbox is, I don't really know the numbers exactly, but it's like 95% Python. Like the, almost all the backend servers when you're using Dropbox or Python, the clients that run on your machine, the little, you know, little box icon that does the sync on your machine, that's Python. So basically, Dropbox, you can build that. That's, that's pretty awesome. Netflix does a bunch with it. The guys at the Large Hadron Collider used Python as part of the technology stack to find the Higgs boson. Um, let's that's see. awesome. And, oh my God, what they're doing is so amazing. There's a good part of C++ that's like kind of orchestrated by Python, but still. The, the technology at the Large Hadron Collider is really unbelievable. So you can definitely build desktop apps. Uh, it's a little less great of a story there, but it, it's possible. I would say maybe mobile is the area that's kind of really hurting. There's there's stuff for Android, but you can't really do it for iOS. And if, if you can't build a mobile app for iOS, then you know it's not like a, a general mobile technology, I guess. Not yet, anyway. So I've been actually a fan of your show for a couple months now. You know, I, I started listening to your show... December of last year, December of 2015, immediately listened to it and started binge <laughs> listening to a lot of the shows so I could catch up. I kind of look at you and, you know, you have a podcast, you're doing these courses, you have a blog. So you, for me, you don't fit the typical mold of what most developers are like, right? Again, very social and you produce a lot of content. You know, what kind of drove you down to, to make some of these things? And, and of course, I want to talk about each of them individually, but just generally yeah. speaking, what kind of drove you to become, to take this kind of path in your career? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Cause I'd never, looking far down the road, I never saw this as the place I was going. I just, I, like I said, I've always been super excited about technology 
And I didn't go into computers in college. I actually was working my PhD in math. And after a while, I sort of realized I like computers better. But one of the things I loved about working on my math things at the university was I got to teach courses to incoming freshmen, sophomore type guys, you know, uh, calculus, linear algebra, that kind of stuff. And I really liked teaching. And then when I decided, okay, what I should do in my career is actually go into computers because actually that is a way better career and way more fun. The one thing I was like, oh man, you know, I'm really going to miss teaching. I'm going to be like in a cubicle working on some cool stuff, but I'm going to miss that teaching component, right? So after a few years when I got good enough, I thought, okay, well, I'll start speaking at code camps and so on. And I just... I almost did it as a way to force myself to learn things. I'm like, if I can learn this good enough to do a presentation on it and people don't laugh at me, then I'll have learned something really cool, right? So I would like, I would find things I would go present and I would force myself to learn them. And then developmentor said, you know, they contacted me out of the blue and said, Hey, you know, we would pay you to do this for a job. <laughs> you don't have to do this for free at Cocans all the time. I'm like, really? That's really awesome. Okay. So it just sort of kept going. Right. And so the more that I did training, I'm like, Oh, it'd be really fun to write about it. And the, It'd be really fun to talk about it on a podcast. And they've just kind of taken on a life of their own. So it's, it's been a real fun journey, but no, definitely not planned out. Which one kind of came first? I'm guessing it was, was it the podcast or was it the blog? Like, how did you kind of walk us through the progression of some of these things? Or how they came? Sure. So I've had the blog for a while and I, I'm not one of those people that blogs all the time. Like I'll get inspired and have a, a burst and do like three or four post or whatever, but then it might set for six months. So I just kind of, whenever I had something interesting to say, I, I thought I'd, I'd put it out there, right? But I love podcasts. I've listened to podcasts since, you know, 2003, 2004, just love the medium. And I've always wanted to do one. I guess the last five or six years I've wanted to do one, but I just couldn't quite find the thing that I wanted to talk about. When I was doing C Sharp, there was a lot of already good stuff, you know, .NET Rocks, Hanselman's. I'm like, okay, well, those guys have it. Like, why would I make another one and try to talk about the same type of stuff. But then when I switched to Python, I'm like, all right, well, I'm really into Python. This is such a great place I found. I need to learn about it, right? Like, I'm just going to go find some podcasts on it. And there, unbelievably, there were no active Python podcasts when I started mine. There had been six, I think, and they had all just faded away. And like the last episode that came out of any of them was a year prior to when I started mine. I thought, well, that's crazy, right? Like if, if there's a community that has like nearly a million developers in it and there's just no podcast, there's no like podcast forum place for them to be and share stories. Like, well, I certainly don't have many years of experience doing it, but I'm really passionate about it. So, you know, I'll, even though I'm unqualified, I'll, I'll start a podcast because somebody's got to, this has to be changed. Right. And that's kind of how I got there. So what do you think those other podcasts kind of just stopped? That's an interesting question. And I don't know if the answer has to do with timing or just things were presented differently. I'm sure you guys know, like, as you're doing podcasts, you got to just keep on a regular schedule releasing the show. And it, it can be challenging on, on days where you've got deadlines and you're tired or, or whatever to just keep doing them. And I think it's easy to get into the, the groove where you've been doing it for a while. It's not super exciting. And you just kind of let it fade. And one of the things I've been really fortunate about is, you know, I think partly because the show has been popular, but also because of the timing that I've had some companies come along and ask to sponsor the show. And it's cool that I get some money from it, but also I think it serves a really strong purpose for the show in that, hey, I promise somebody that I will you know, sort of keep this thing going regularly. And that, that sort of helps me th power through the times where I'm like, you know, I could really go to bed early tonight. I'm kind of tired or, or whatever, right? And you just, you just keep doing it. And the act of continuing to do it after a few times, it just, you know, you get way more endurance and the sort of satisfaction that comes out of doing a long time works. But I don't think the other shows had that. And I think it was just a different era for podcasts in general. So now, Michael, I don't think we've actually had another developer podcaster on the show before. So could you tell us, for instance, like some of the things that you've learned going through this podcasting process and or maybe some of the things that um, have really inspired you to keep going? Oh, yeah. Of the, well, one of the things I've learned is the variety and just sort of the, the whole space of what people do in software development. It's just so much more vast than I think most of us get exposed to, and myself included. You have interesting people on your show, and they're, they're doing crazy stuff that you probably wouldn't be exposed to in, in one way or another, right? So I got to talk to the guys from Netflix and how they're sort of managing the cloud, Python. That was awesome. I got to talk to the Large Hadron sort of collider guys. And that was really cool what they're doing with physics. And I had some guy from Autodesk, how Python is being used to make movies and sort of automate like game and a movie product. Like none of those things I knew anything about or would have ever learned about. But I got to have 
you know, an hour long conversation with the people doing it and just learn so much from it. Like it's, I feel like I get more out of my podcast than anyone else does, to be honest, even though I have to do the work to, <laughs> to produce it. I don't know how, if you guys feel the same way, but it's just your exposure to these experiences just grows so much faster than if you just keep working on the same code or whatever. No, that's exactly what it is. We have guests on, they talk about entrepreneurship and they talk about starting businesses and fitness and cooking. And again, a lot of subject matter that we don't, we're not necessarily experts about, but I'd love to hear about it, right? Like, I'd love to hear what you've made and I'd love to hear why you made it and, you know, some of the things that you thought about while you were making it, what you learned from it. Because I think, you know, that, that vast knowledge is, for me, is just so interesting. It's also interesting for, for me to see us expose that other side of the individual. Because again, like there's, there's generally the stereotype of what developers are and how they behave and what they do. To be able to see the other side of it, you know, again, just getting that very general knowledge about some of these things that the people do, for me, is very interesting. Yeah, you get to break a lot of stereotypes, right? Yeah, I think the other side for me is to make a history, right? So we've talked to these people that they're changing the world. Right. I mean, we're, we're changing the world in, in ways that the world is, the history of the world has never seen. And we're talking with these people in the middle of these projects and, or as they're doing, or as these projects have been completed and, you know, cataloging them. And so other people can go through and, and see and listen, Hey, how that all started and what's the background of all that. And, you know, what in a hundred years, they'd be like, well, what was it like to be a software developer in, you know, 2015? And they could go and listen to that, you know, as from straight from the the horse's mouth and what it was like and what they did and and what kind of people they were. And um, I think we just play a small part in in all of that. Oh, I think that's a really cool observation. I certainly feel like the kind of work that I do to get ready for the podcast is almost like creating a document documentary or something like that. Like you've got to research the angles, find the interesting story. Like it's it's almost like making some kind of documentary and you can go back and r sort of read about like the 1980s when computers were first out and how they were done. But I don't think you'll get the same feel as if you sat down and listened to the podcast. Like you say, like the enthusiasm and all that kind of stuff comes through in a different way in an audio format. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And another thing that's just really rewarding is, you know, when you hear, a listener or a fan of the show, and you know, I'm sure you feel the same way too. Come up to you and let you know that hey, I've I've learned something from listening to your show, and you've really provided value to me. Or, oh you know, hey, I I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Like, thank you for being able to put this this medium out there. So you know, I I have another avenue for me to learn some new stuff. Oh, absolutely. And just the the gratitude that I feel towards the listeners and the audience is. So amazing. Like I, and it comes back, you know, these, I'll get messages from people saying things like, you know, I started listening to your show every week and now I go to work and Monday through Friday when I'm working, my, the, the work that I do is more meaningful and more valuable and more rich because I started listening to your show. And it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And then I did a show on helping people find their first job in, as a developer and as a Python and, I got a bunch of messages like, hey, you've helped me find a job. This is really amazing. One of the guys said, I actually decided to almost change my career track and go down a more entrepreneurial path in some really amazing ways because I listen to your podcast. And I'm just like, that's both awesome and kind of scary if I'm responsible for this. <laughs> but I was just, yeah, you, you must get messages like this as well. Just like how, how you've touched people's lives. And, you know, you, when you're sort of in the middle of just doing the work, it go interview some interesting guys, do some stuff, but it really does have an effect. And it's, it's kind of humbling and awesome. I, I love it. So I got to ask you outside of your show, like what are some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to? Sure. So I listen to some of the Python ones or a few more now. I listen to, um, the Python test podcast, my friend Brian Aachen, and I listen to Partially Derivative, which is like a data science story podcast. They're, they're pretty cool. I really like this one called Exponent, and it's about sort of the business side of technology. So kind of like not really entrepreneurship, but just sort of studying like tech business. It, it, a lot of the conversation kind of like we had about Microsoft and Apple a little bit ago, that, that kind of stuff. I really like that one. I still list. Yes, okay, okay. I recommend that. I still recommend uh, listen to .NET Rocks and Hansel Minutes uh, every now and then as well. These guys are doing cool stuff. So Michael, I want to start talking about your, your classes you're offering. Oh yeah, right. 
So the first time I heard about it, I saw you put out a Kickstarter for your your Python courses, right? So so could you talk about well, one, I don't think I know anybody that's actually put out a Kickstarter and, and gotten funded by a million percent <laughs> over what they asked for. <laughs> so so could you tell us what like what is that like for you? And then you know we can start talking about the actual course and what what you plan to offer. Yeah, uh, sure, I'd love to. The, that has been that just wrapped up uh, last Friday. That's been a really interesting experience. One of the things I've always wanted to do is create a bunch of awesome online training courses. Like I used to teach, still do a little bit, but I used to often teach sort of in-person training to a handful of people. And I, I really wanted to reach more than that, right? Like get out there and, and really put something out there that people can come and say, if you need to know some topic, to go over here. This this is the, the, the resource to find, right? And so I was... I've actually done some dramatic things to make that happen. I left the full-time job that I had and started my own company to just go do my own thing. And when I was thinking about that, I I have two choices here. One is I can go and work on this class for a month and then talk about it and see if people are interested. That's, That's totally reasonable. That's what most people do, I think. But I thought, well, you know... The community around the podcast is so great and really supportive. I bet if I put it on Kickstarter, enough people to justify it would drop by, right? And I was, I was thinking like, well, you know, maybe if I can get a hundred students to come by it early, that would be really great or something like that, right? So I, I said, what the heck? What do I have to lose? I'll, I'll put it on Kickstarter. I'll, I'll make a video and a cool, like sort of sketch out my plan to what I'm doing. And then I'll just go about making the class regardless of what happens to the Kickstarter. And then I went to sleep after I launched it and, you know, woke up. I'm in Germany right now, so it's sort of weird time zones and so on. So it was going pretty good at first and went to sleep, woke up the next day, and it was like within 12 hours later, it was already funded. So that was that was really awesome. And it's been going super strong since then. What was your final, I guess, what do you call it, percentage funded yeah. um, on Kickstarter? <laughs> so the... The number that I got was 1,900% funded. <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> that was our... That's uh, not too shabby at all, huh? No, that's, uh, that is not too shabby at all. I set the goals pretty low um, because, like I said, I was planning to sort of quit my job and go build this new venture, even regardless of the Kickstarter. So I, I didn't want to make it seem like, well, if I don't get, you know... Twenty or thirty thousand dollars or whatever. I'm just not going to do it, like because I was going to do it. So I thought, right, look, I'll just put a little bit out there and see what happens. And yeah, it went went really well. So from a personal standpoint, what does that mean to you? Specifically speaking, like, what does it mean to see the fact that your community and people on the internet and you know whoever else backed you, ported you so much that completely like drove you over the limit that you were looking for? It's you know, it's extremely touching. It's it's really it makes me feel so good about what I'm doing. When I started the podcast, I I had no intention of having ads because I thought it would not ever have an audience sufficiently large that anybody would care, right? I just wanted to do it because I just wanted to share cool stories with people about what they're doing, right? And the the sort of warm reception that came back from the community when I did that is has been so great. And then it's just kind of carrying on to this these online classes. You know, when people back your project, they can send you messages. And sometimes it's like, hey, your course sounds great. I'm super looking forward to taking it. Sometimes it's like, you know, I'm already an advanced developer. I actually don't even need to take your course. I'm just backing this because I love what you're doing for the community. Thanks so much. And like, that's so heartwarming. It's just it's amazing. So the the podcast was certainly key to making it as successful as it was. So when you were considering doing these videos, uh, what made you think, what pushed you towards Kickstarter as opposed to maybe another video sharing uh, so, a site or, or maybe even doing it some other way? Sure. So I had thought of several options. One option was to put them on Udemy. Another one was to talk to the guys at like lynda.com or Pluralsight. I, I know people inside both those companies pretty well. So that that was an option. And I was almost leaning towards one of those three, right? And I talked to a friend of mine, Pierre Nelay, and he and I were chatting about it. He said, you know, you have such a great audience. And if you take your courses and you stick them inside of one of these other uh, environments, if you will, one of these other platforms, they're just going to be sort of blended in. And you won't really 
really be able to make something special for them. It'll just be like another checkbox in the catalog or whatever. So I thought about it. I said, you know, but that means I got to write like my own website, my own e-commerce, my own mail system. Like I'm already busy writing the course. I don't, don't know about that. But after I, I thought about it for a while. I said, all right. Yeah, you're, you're right. I have to do, I, I, I got to do it that way. And so then I just buckled down and wrote, wrote the whole website and all the e-commerce stuff like over about a, a week and a half or so. Tell us a little bit about the actual course now, right? So who is it for? What's your target? How many sections or modules are there yeah. going to be? Yeah, yeah. You so know, like, how does I that work? just finished it, like I said, today because I'm going on vacation tomorrow. So I had to get it done today before I left. And it has seven hours, like a seven hours of stuff. And I decided that I'm going to create a course that's different. Like there's so many courses on any particular topic that just go, you know, what are the language features? Let's see, we got to talk about variables, for loops, strings, functions, da 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 and you just, and it's amazing that people become software developers at all, right? I mean, this is also how college is taught, right? We're going to talk about data structures. Now we're going to talk about classes. Not, and it's just down the sort of feature bullet points of, of the language. And it's not until you get to the very end that you've got to actually build something cool, right? And so it amazes me that there's so many software developers that decided to like study the ins and outs of the, like the for loop, <laughs> you know, not being able to do anything cool with it, just going, I hope I can do something cool with this like in a month or two. And so what I decided was I was going to create a course that is just like the way a professional software developer would work. So there's like 10 apps and you just sit down and you build the app. And it, it doesn't start with this is how you create this in language or that. It's just like, here's the first app, let's start building it. And then as you hit topics that you don't know, like the first time you get to a class, for example, or a function, take like a, a one minute break and talk about that, then go right back to writing the, class, uh, the, the app. So I've just tried to make it sort of more the way that we all work. Like you wouldn't go and study every single detail about a technology. You would go learn enough to make it work, then go try it out, then come back and learn some more. So it's, it's a little different like that. You know, there was, um, when I was learning Python, back in college there was this website and i think it was called learn python the oh yeah Hardware, yeah by zed zed Shaw, um, i think i think that it was i i, I want to make sure that i'm not calling the wrong course but essentially what what happened was you know you had this you pretty much just jumped in you just started writing code right like and it, it didn't go through a lot of like you said explanations you didn't go through variables and loops and that type of stuff you kind of just jumped in and be like okay well this is a callable and so here let's write some code Right. And at the end of, you know, that little write up, you know, it, again, it was a website that was online and freely available. You know, at the end of that write up, essentially, you'll have like a little application that you built and you'd have gone through like some fairly major parts of the language already. Yeah. And I think that's the right way to, to learn it. Right. Yeah. That, that's still out there. It's a, it's a great resource. So, so for your course that you've built now, like who can take this? Is this for Python guys? Is this for students? Is this for new people? Can a dot yeah, guy uh, take it and be like, Hey, this is yeah, really sure. cool. So I tried to make it for anybody that doesn't need to start with what is a variable. <laughs> if if you know what a variable is <laughs> and you can write a loop in any language, that's like enough, right? So it starts pretty much at the beginning, but it, it builds into some pretty complex topics as it gets farther and farther in. So it's it's a pretty thorough introduction to the language. You know, you're like overriding methods and classes and all sorts of stuff by the time you get to the end, sort of creating data pipelines that chain together and so on. But I'd say if it's pretty practical for anyone who's wanting to learn Python, you don't have to be a developer, but you probably need to know like a few basic CS concepts, right? It's, it's probably not for like an advanced Python developer already knows a lot of stuff. So you'd mentioned before that, you know, with or without this Kickstarter, you were already starting to make plans to create this company. That was going to be again creating these this educational material for um for people to learn the language and learn how how things work. So outside of this course, I'm guessing like the course that you're putting out now, this first seven hours is the first part of it, right? So so what do you have that's going to be following for if you yeah, can tell yeah, us? I, I guess. Uh, like what do you have that's going to be coming? Absolutely. After? So I put together a couple of options and I put. I I think four other classes I listed on my website and I've asked people, Hey, which one would you like, like me to build next? You know, and here's, here's the description of what they would be if I were to build them and I'll build them all, but I would kind of want to build the one people want the most first. Right. So the one that I'm most excited for, I'll tell you the ones I'm not that I'm unexcited, but they're kind of more standard. Like one is sort of data driven websites in Python, right? Sort of SQL alchemy uh, type 
database access ORMs, and then you've got like the web, the web part. Um, one is like working with web services in Python. That's pretty cool. And then another one that I'm probably the most excited for is I, I want to help people start online businesses. And so I'm creating a, a, a course I'm calling Python for Entrepreneurs. And you don't have to be a developer to take this, but it's kind of like the other one. You've got to know a little bit of CS concepts. But if, if you're just like a, know a little bit of programming, the idea is you take this course and it shows you what you need to build like an online business. And when I say that, like a lot of people think, okay, I need data access. I need user authentication. I need to put stuff on the page and so on. But that's actually like a very small part of what you need to make a successful business, in my opinion. And I've tried to make uh, sort of startups over the years. And technically speaking, they've been super awesome. But the majority of them just fizzled out and went nowhere. And it's because it's not just a matter of having a product. You've got to get the word out You've got to have the right user interactions and so on. So what I want to try to do is build a course that teaches you enough how to build a website that like people can come and see your products or whatever it is. But it has a super easy way to do e-commerce. It has a way to do like work with mailing lists and notify your users, way to integrate analytics, just like all the hundred little things that surround an actual product, but are sort of critical to it going from nobody using it to many people using it. Yeah, I don't want to see people like build something and then just not be able to get anyone to use it. I think that's that's a sad thing. So hopefully I can address that problem. So, so kind of following through with that one, what are your thoughts on a lot of people have been talking about computer science education? And I think it was Barack Obama the other day that he pledged some ridiculous amount of money for K through 12 students for everybody to learn how to to, to get some computer right. science education in, in, in these schools. So what are your thoughts in... When people say everyone should learn how to code or that coding should be in all of the schools, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on that type of stuff? Well, I, that's a good question. Like, should everybody really need to know how to code? Like, will it benefit them both as a person living in the 21st century and maybe as a, as a job? And I don't know the answer to that for sure. I think it will enrich people's lives because so much of what we interact with is sort of driven by code and technology. But I also think that there are there are areas that you might might say learning to code teaches the same skills, but is way more applicable. And so the first thing that comes to mind is geometry, right? Like I, I love math and so on, but the point of geometry to me, maybe I'm missing the point, but is to solve these sort of problems through you got your axioms and, and you got your logical thinking. You sort of prove these theorems at the most basic level of kind of reasoning through the system with rules, right? Well, like that's programming. I, I think you could do a better job of fulfilling the goal of geometry with programming. And so that's that's one of the things that I think is a pretty good candidate for sort of bringing in computer science in, into schools. And I, I'm sure it won't, it won't happen because we have a, the history of doing geometry forever, but I've not applied much geometry in my days, but I've applied a ton of code. <laughs> and I, I think knowing how to code is super important for empowering people that do other jobs. As software developers, we get obsessed with writing just the right design pattern, you know, implementing just the right design pattern and writing code in just the right way using the latest technology but there's so many people whose job if it went from zero computer skill to 10 percent, would be so much better like a, a biologist trying to do some research or a doctor trying to manage some patients just a little bit of skill would go a long ways and i think it would help in that regard as well the way i, I kind of look at it is well one a lot of the times that they talk about this they, they use the term specifically computer science and i believe everybody should have computer literacy i think that's important I think if you want to teach people how to program, that's, I'm completely fine with that. Kind of like you use the, the math example, right? It's, it's a mechanism for teaching us how to solve problems. And I think problem solving skills are important. Calling it computer science on these various levels for me becomes a little confusing, right? Because no, what is computer science, right? Like Microsoft Word and Excel literacy is not computer science. It's, it's just not, right? And even if you're playing with Arduinos and you're plugging in transistors and playing with rotors and motors, that's not computer science either. You know, I think it's just important that we, we put forward the right message. And also to not to devalue some of our professionals that we have in industry today, right? There's a lot of people that spent a lot of years and a lot of money in university and whatnot to say that, hey, we're going to teach computer science to 12 and 13 year olds. I don't know. For me, it kind of just sends the wrong message, right? Like right. I think we should be very specific and very clear 
with what exactly it is that we're planning to do and what, what exactly are these students going to be getting out of this? Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the ways to look at it is people these days are very good at consuming information, things. What we need to, what we need to yeah. teach people to do is to become creators and to create more. And almost yeah. no matter what you create, it's going to involve some bit of software somewhere, probably. So it seems like a good step in that direction. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel you, man. I, I've, I've been struggling with the same thing where my, my kids are six and eight and getting to that point where they could be learning some of these software concepts, you know, computer science, quote unquote. But I'm, I'm of the, the nature, I'd rather them learn more of the basics of math and more of traditional logic than teaching them a syntax of a language. Um, I, I, you, you get those kind of basics of logic, uh, logical thinking and math. I, we could teach you a language on top of that, but you know, we're not teaching logic anymore in school, right? We're probably not even teaching it in college anymore. And our math has, has not been that great, especially since we've, you know, completely changed over to Common Core for better or for worse. So I, I'm, we've been more focused on that area than, hey, you should learn how to program or how to code. And I remember I was at um, some event, some Day County Public School event um, last year, and the guy was had a whole bunch of you know middle schoolers around him and he was talking about computer science and and how this technology is the future and you should get into it because you'll get paid lots of money and i just kind of looked at him really strange it's like that's not why we should get people involved in computer science <laughs> it's because you'll make lots of money um and besides that's false anyway so i i think it's it's an interesting how the the i don't want to say the the government i don't think it's really the government but how society has seen computer science and and how they're trying to really get our kids involved but i think it's trying to get them involved the wrong way i definitely would not want to push the money hey if you study this you've got a guaranteed job when you get out of college sort of thing that's that may be true but i don't think that that's where the rewards really come from i think one sort of broader thing that's interesting is the whole nature of jobs in general. And it used to be you went to work for a company for 20 years and that was that. But now it's much, much more fluid and people are more interchangeable as sort of employees a lot of times. And I think a lot of the stability that people will find in the future will come in the form of entrepreneurship. You have a lot more control over your future. You can adjust things like this and kind of like getting back to the creator thing. Like if you create companies, having those skills to sort of help you get going are, are really critical. So I'd come back to the help people be creators more to enrich their lives. So they have more freedom. So they have more stability, whatever, rather than, Hey, you'll make 5,000 more dollars. than if you study chemistry, <laughs> no way. Yeah. And in four years, you're going to have to learn everything else again. Cause new technology is coming right down the pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but I agree with you, Michael. I think it, exposing people to information for me is not a bad thing. I think it's when we, you know, have these false promises of what's going to be the result of it. My son, like he, he comes in the kitchen and sometimes he's, he's cooking with his mom and his grandma or sometimes we're in the living room and he has a little easel and his paints and he's painting. You know, I, I don't tell him, Hey, you got to be a world class chef, right? And going to be on top chef on TV or are you going to be some worldwide renowned Picasso painter, right? At the same time too, he's exposed to the information. So again, it's, it's really just about how, how do we do it, right? For me, it's not a question of whether we should do it or not. It's about how we do it and making sure things are done in the right way. Right. Absolutely. And you're, your son, even if he never becomes a famous artist, will sort of find joy to be able to do that or a famous cook, right? Like he might cook a great dinner for his girlfriend when he's in high school or college. Yeah, and, and that's rewarding, right? Exactly. So, you know, we talked about your podcast. We talked about, you know, the Kickstarter and courses that you're building. But you're talking to us from Germany. What's what's going on over there, man? Like, I thought you were from, from Portland, Oregon, and now you're in Germany. Like, so what's, what's going oh, man, on? Oh, man, I love Portland, Oregon. And I am. I, 
I'll, I'll be back there in August. So one of the things that's really interesting when you get into computers and the, the more entrepreneurial you're, you are in that space, whether that be a freelance consultant, you start your own business or something like this, is you get some pretty crazy freedom to live your life however you want. Right? So my wife is from Germany, actually. She's lived in the U.S. for a long time, but she's a professor and she has a sabbatical this year. So she's like, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Germany. That'd be cool. So I just said, hey, guys, I'm going to Germany. If you need to reach me, I'll be on email or Skype, <laughs> you know, and off to Germany I went. And uh, it's, it's a really cool experience. I'm having such a great time being in Europe and, I'm, of course, looking back to get into Portland in the summer. So so what's Germany like? Me personally, I've never been to anywhere in that side of the world. Tell us about some of the things you've been doing and the food you've been eating. and um, like, What's your experience been? Yeah, so, so I'm in southwest Germany, in Stuttgart. And the, things are more regional in Europe than in the U.S., right? You've got to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to sort of get a different type of experience uh, in terms of food and accents and so on, but not not so much here. Been eating a lot of sausage, drinking a lot of good beer, but what they have is really good. So been, been enjoying the beer. You have interesting opportunities that you just, you know, you don't have when you're in a country as big as the U.S., right? Like we decided to go on a day trip to Switzerland, to Zurich, because there's a train and it's like two hours on the train. So we just jumped on the train or things like that. So it's, it's really great. I'd say the places are more dense right? Like the cities are more dense. There's the concept of a suburb is, is not nearly as ingrained in the culture. Like even when you go to little small towns, you'll be driving through the country and there's like nothing for, you know, five miles or should I say five kilometers for a while. And then, then you come up to a city and even though like in the U S that would be like all spread out, everybody would have like three acre yards and long driveways and whatever. Cause it's in the country, but the little villages are like people come together in these villages and it's still like, it's hard to drive through the streets cause they're so small, even though it's out in the country. And I think this, this sense of community is maybe a little stronger in Europe than it is in the U.S., where people kind of stay together more rather than spread out and just get in their cars and drive from point to point to point. What do you say is your favorite thing about being in this trip so far? Uh, my favorite thing, it's, it's kind of just all the new experiences. Like this year, we don't have a car, so we're just doing like public transport, the, the trains around here. And, and that's a really cool experience. Speaking another language. I, I do it badly and I, I fumble through my German conversations, but, <laughs> but I am learning the language and it's, it's really cool to, to do that. Like if you learn a language in the U S a lot of times it's like a theoretical experiment. Like you, you go to school and you learn French and you practice French and then kind of after French class, like why would you talk French? Right. I mean, everybody's going to speak English pretty much, but, but over here you have a lot more, know, practicality to those types of things. And it's really, really cool. So with you being away for a year, and again, like you, you mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, you're, you've started this company and pretty much being your own boss at this point. So essentially you're saying like, you kind of just picked up and moved to another part of the world. And I'm guessing you're still working, right? You're still producing shows. You're still working on your course. You're still getting stuff done, right? So was there anything in particular that you had to put in place for that to happen? Or like, what was that transition like for you? Well, at the time I was working full time for a company. So that took some coordinating. But I'd say for my company, not really. It's, it is surprisingly easy if you can get enough flexibility in your job to do that. Like the, the constraints are actually all, all outside of that kind of stuff. So for example, I have three kids and they've got to sort of go to school in one place and they, they've got to go back and finish high school. And so we have to go back on that schedule so that that works. But if it weren't for the restrictions that the kids schooling sort of placed on us, you know, it would be just like, all right, well, maybe Australia would be cool for six months. You want to try that? Like, I think with modern technology, it's unbelievable. Like Skype and mostly Skype, but just the internet in general is, it really enables that kind of stuff. So you, are your kids going to school over there? Or yeah. They, yeah. Like, so I have, I have an eight year old and identical twin uh, going to be 16 in, in a few days, uh, girls, and they're all going to school here. They all speak German pretty well. So they're going just to like the neighborhood schools. So I'm, I'm guessing they learned German before they, you guys went over. Yeah. There. Yeah. My wife spoke German to them. So they, they didn't learn it 
super well, but they learned it well enough that it wasn't complete culture shock. I don't know what's going on when they dropped in here, like that sort of thing. So what do you think the experience has been like for them? Like, have you gotten any, hey, daddy, this is really cool. Like, I don't want to leave and go back to America kind of thing? For the younger one, definitely. The older one, I think the overshadowing sort of thing is I am in high school and my friends are, you know, 8,000 miles away or 6,000 miles away, whatever it is. <laughs> and, and they're definitely enjoying the experiences, but it's always sort of dampened with that, right? So it's it's tough to be a teenager. It would have been hard on me to go that far away from my friends. Like, I'd definitely love to, to come over there one of these years. Like, I, I've always heard stories about, you know, people going backpacking and going traveling. And and actually, you know, there's, there's quite a few developers that, you know, people I follow on, on Twitter and they'll just say, hey, I'm going on a world tour, bye. And they kind of just pick up and they leave, right? <laughs> they go traveling. It's crazy, right? Uh, go traveling across Europe. And it's and it's kind of cool, but it's it's such a testament to, like you said, like the world that we live in and the technology that we have. And you know, I'd really like to see a lot more, you know, companies, a lot more people, you know, just, just make use of this. Because it opens up such a huge world for you. Like, you realize, you know, it's very cliche to say the world's a huge place, right? But like, it, the world is such a big place. Yeah, we're so often told you how... Know, you learn so much. Yeah, sorry. We're so often told how small it is, right? <laughs> but it's actually really huge, like you say. I agree. Yeah, there's just, there's just so much to learn from, you know, so many different cultures and, you know, ways of thinking, foods to eat, you know, just, just ways of being. Yeah, and, it's... I, I think if a lot more people took advantage of that, I think the world would be in a very different place than, you know, some of the things that we're seeing today. <laughs> That's, that is absolutely true. I think... I certainly perceive the United States somewhat differently having lived outside of it and lived in other places now. I mean, I, it's, it's not like life changing for me because I had traveled a lot for my training classes and spent a lot of time in Europe and Asia. So it wasn't like my first shock or whatever, but just seeing how people live differently and go, you know, there's some things that are really good about this. There's some things that are not as good as living in the U S but it's just to know that there's not one true way of, of being. We'd like to thank Michael for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at away from the also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTK Podcasts and on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can follow me at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jars. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have indie game developer and author Amir Rajan. Once I saw the opportunity, especially with, the, with taking some time off, uh, I was like, you know what? I want to learn iOS development. I want to learn mobile development. I don't want to write a business app, uh, so I'm going to build a game. And uh, that's what I ended up doing. Oh, and we're on SoundCloud, too. And we're on SoundCloud, too. Yeah, and I think you're really going to like this episode. I know I say it every time, but this is going to be a great episode. Really good. Yeah, this was a lot of fun to record, man. So I think you guys are going to love to hear what um, Amir has to say. Yeah, number one game on iTunes. Amir wrote one of those. Come back. Bye. What you gotta say? Bye. want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
<laughs> so, so actually, exactly. you know, bringing up Apple, um, did you guys watch the um, their event today and see um, any of the stuff that got released? Oh man, I usually religiously watch this, but I'm I'm trying to get this online course that I'm writing finished, and, and I shipped it today, and so I had it was either get the course done or watch the Apple event, so I had to get some work done. So What's my, the story? It was awesome. Yeah, so my opinion of the Apple event was more stuff I need to turn off in iOS. <laughs> that that nice. was my opinion. So I, I'm I'm intrigued with the new iPad Pro. It's a 9.7 inch iPad Pro. Um, I, I don't know if I like the price for it. You know, because then you have to add the pencil and the the keyboard cover and all that stuff. Um, Just they announced going up and up. Yeah, yeah. So you're, and then they started promoting it as like a Windows desktop replacement. Okay, <laughs> if you want to do that. Does it have um, a mouse? No. <laughs> then I don't know, man. Maybe. That's right. Maybe. That's right. That's right. Uh, they also announced a, what was it, a 4-inch iPhone 6? Is that correct? It's the, the iPhone SE. That's what they're calling it. SE, yeah. So it, it's for baby hands, like some presidential candidates. Um <laughs> See what what else was was that about it, uh, Seth? Is that the two big things? I think that's really about it. Um, they they announced some APIs. So there's CareKit, um, which I think has something to do with um, ResearchKit. I think it was what the the last one was. And um, they also spoke about the the Apple Watch is now two ninety nine. I don't remember what it was yeah. before, but apparently it's two ninety nine now. Yeah, and they announced a whole bunch of bands, which nobody. Got any applause for that? So. <laughs> oh, no applause for the band. Uh, they still are trying to push that music thing, like Steve Jobs did, but I don't think it's quite landing like it used to. Oh, Apple Music is that what you're trying? <laughs> no, like they had YouTube come on, and it was supposed to be like this big event, and it oh, you know, it does it, it doesn't quite feel like when Steve Jobs was there and people came and it yep. was you know they were really into the music for the music's sake. It feels like they were hired corporately to come do this event. 